What's up, Conroe? Welcome to the 399th edition of Nerd Thug Radio. This is Corey DLG with me as usual, his little brother Nico. Insanity. I know. Right now, you've got your radios tuned to 104.5 or 106.1, and you're hanging out with us on this Monday afternoon where we are welcoming you to the week of Nerd Thug. That's True. right. The week of Nerd Thug. This is the final week of Nerd Thug Radio being on the air with Lone Star Radio. Uh, I do want to take a second and say thank you to uh, Mr. Dick Shizzler the Fourth and everyone else involved in the process of putting radio on the air here in Conroe. We want to thank everybody for listening and hanging out with us these last three years. It's been awesome. Four years, maybe, even. Um, but we're going through a lot of big changes. We're doing a lot of new stuff. We're going to talk about those things on Thursday, the 400th and final episode of Nerd Thug Radio right here in Conroe. Um, in the meantime, come hang out with us today on this Monday, 2 o'clock. We're doing the Nerd Thug thing. Having a Nerd Thug time. Um, how's it going, buddy? It is. It is going well. I have returned from my. I've done. You went to uh to Dallas. Uh no. Uh oh god, Cooperus Copperus Cave Cove something like that. It's a small town outside of Austin. Okay. Uh, I think it's Copper's Cove. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so you oh, went to what? outside of Austin, and what'd you do? Uh, played in a, uh, a Dragon Ball tournament. Oh. I went with my official team, Team Zephyr. Is a <laughs> group, yes, inspired by Red Hot Chili Peppers. I respect it. I respect it. I got it. I liked it. <laughs> uh, it was our first, like, big event that we were traveling to, um, we didn't do super hot, but it's fine. Not every, you know, not everyone has their days. Uh, but we had a ton of fun. It was it was exciting, and it's also I've taken so many road trips in one year. Uh, I mean, listen, this is like number five, and, and and we're not done yet. And there's still three months left this year. Oh you know? yeah, and I have I have plans. There's plans. So, Driving to um, California? No, I'm not. Man, that would that would be a journey. I don't know if I would want to go through the desert. I feel like that's where something weird would happen. Ooh, I've driven through the deserts of New Mexico one time, and it was quite yeah, hard pass for me. Not doing it. Um. So all that being said, we've been um, as we always do, we report on the pop culture world to you. Uh, and there's a little bit going on. There's a little bit going on worth talking about. But of course, first we're going to talk about me because why wouldn't we? Uh. My Kickstarter officially funded over the weekend. There you go. Almost $1,000 over what I was asking for. So that's kind of happy. Almost 100 backers for this project. Most of them I've never met before. So that's a neat feeling. That's very cool. Um, I'm excited. The artist is working on things. He's kind of... he's He hasn't hit his stride yet. But we've still got a whole month before I need to start kind of looking at my deadlines and seeing what happens. So... I'm keeping an eye on him, but I think we're going to be okay. I mean, got to get that positivity out there. Are you starting strong? <laughs> well, it's really just he, like, I gave him the script 
And for the first two weeks, he didn't do anything. He was like, yeah, I just had all this other stuff. But now, my, like, I've cleared my schedule for this. And I was like, all right. But that wasn't, that wasn't the way forward that I wanted to hear. So, Well, sometimes, I mean, sometimes it just catches up to you. It happened to me the week before I left. I was like, man, I got a lot of things to do. And then I had to, like, just hunker down and do all of them. Like, just slam my face into the ground. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I waited a last second for yeah, you know that is a uh, that is a family trait that we have there. Procrastination. Yep. I also did another thing. I uh, I shaved my head and beard. Yep. So mm. I'm about three pounds lighter. Yeah, you have a you do have a large beard now. No longer. Now no longer. You you uh, like I'm so glad I'm not. It always throws me every time you do this because you do this every once every like few years i feel like yeah i usually probably do it once every summer when it gets like because what'll happen is i'll spend like four days just screaming in my head how hot it is and finally i'm, like, well, I'm just gonna shave everything off then and i do um that was not the case this time um i honestly was this summer has not been particularly hot and last year with covid i never left the house so, between those two issues, um, everything was just way longer than it usually is. Yeah, your hair was getting pretty, pretty long. Pretty long for me. And pretty, I don't like it long either, but like, I don't know. I don't like to, ma- I don't like to do, I don't know. I don't have like a hairstyle. A lot of people have a hairstyle of some kind. I don't have like, there's no signature Corey look. I don't know. I feel like um, the, the the long haired center part works for you. <laughs> I mean, it, it would if if I wasn't going bald. Yeah, but going bald has ruined that for me. Uh, but all that being said, shaved it, shaved it. It's gone. It's gone now. You have you have more curds than a lot of other balding men. I listen. I don't have. I, I I'm. My special power is I don't give an F about what I look like. Um, and so I've never been the guy hung up on like, oh, what am I going to do on balding? Like, I've got some friends who wear hats and they think they're fooling people. Everyone knows what it looks like under your hat. I've got a great story about that, as a matter of fact. Um, right. So I won't, I won't go into the specifics so people won't be able to figure out who this is. But it was a friend of a friend. Every time we would see him, he was always in a hat. Um, we, if we saw him in work setting or personal setting, always wearing a hat. Now, this guy would have the craziest stories that he just used to be. If you spent 20 minutes with him, you would think he is a retired rock star, the way he would talk about his life, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, well, a few people, a few of them are going to go skydiving. Um, and I told him I would drive the car because they tell you to get someone to drive you there and back. Because what happens is when you land with the adrenaline and all that, you wind up speeding on the way back. And the cops know that and they sit there and they just get everybody with tickets. So they have someone else drive. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So they tell you to like to usually to have somebody drive you there or back or whatever. So there's like four of us that were going. So I drove us all out there uh, and I drove us back. I wasn't I'm not not doing I have no interest in that. Um, it's not necessarily a fear thing. I just don't think it, it doesn't look exciting to me. Uh, I will, I want to, 
put there on my bucket really? list of things to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It just seems foolish. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a thrill seeker, my friend. Dude went up there in his jumpsuit with the parachute. Well, with the harness to hatch onto the other guy because you got to go tandem when it's your first time. Uh, wore his hat onto the plane. What? Uh, people were. I mean, the guys were telling like, "Hey, man, like, if you don't stash that before you jump, you're gonna lose it." He's like, "Oh, it's fine. It's fine." Literally, at the open door, he takes the hat off and shoves it into his flight suit thing, jumpsuit. Yep. That is when you learn that he is perfectly horseshoe bald. Ooh, the worst kind. Not kind of, like, he has a ponytail that he puts through the brim of the hat, okay? But it's all from a horseshoe. There is nothing on top. The second he took the hat off, so they, they you rewatch, uh, they go down with everybody. Uh, with all the tan jumpers, they go down and there's a camera guy with you. They time mm-hmm. it that way. <laughs> so the first timers, they have a video that they can sell you, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so they're watching it. We're all together in the room at post jump. The jump guy gets there first. Or the camera gets there first, and they're immediately stitching them all together. Um, and so, by the time that you've taken off the jumpsuit and deharnessed, uh, you're sitting there, you're having a beer at the bar, and they turn on the TV and they're playing the thing. It's about maybe 15, 20 minutes. Pretty seamless little operation I got there. And it's cool because it's on purpose. You see yourself jumping, and then when the video's done, they're like, okay, uh, thanks for coming. That's kind of it. If you want to sign up for your next one, we'll give you $200 off if you sign up today. Like, it's a really good way to, like, rope people in. Yeah. Um, but so, he's standing directly over my left shoulder when his video starts. Oh, man. Okay. And I'm like, hey, man, it's all right. Here we go. And then he takes the hat off. And I make, like, almost I almost make a noise. But again, it's easy, there's a group of us. And one of the other friends, like, who had jumped with him. Like grabbed like lower on my arm to where he couldn't see, and was like, "Yeah, don't don't make a noise, man. Don't don't react to it. Don't do it. Don't do it." So I'm just watching him go do his whole skydive thing, biting my tongue at the shock, sheer intensity of the baldness. Bald, bald. <laughs> Insert bald meme from SpongeBob the movie. <laughs> it was just so it, because by the so he lands and when they're walking in from the field by the time he makes it to from the field where they land in next to you and it's like a hundred yard walk he's already got the hat back on yeah of course the hat comes back on yeah as soon like I imagine as soon as he was on the ground the hat was back on oh probably he yeah, probably but... was putting it on as the other guy was gliding them to the ground like <laughs> he was like these wind wind pressures are are adequate. Yeah. Rips out the hat, puts it back on, pulls the ponytail through the whole bit. Like <laughs> the ponytail for that won't fly away. It was such like you know they're bald underneath, but to see just how perfectly bald he was was a shock. Was a hard hard shock. Also, yeah, in the horseshoe look. 
Like, hate to break it to you guys. The only person that's ever pulled that look off. Like me, right hand dude with the mustache. Who looks oh, like he's yeah, the biker guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it's because he looks like he's from the 70s. <laughs> it's him and Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan looks good with the horseshoe. Yeah, like very, like very few, very select people. Because it just looks like you're just coping with loss. And it's like, just go bald. Most people look fine bald, honestly. Yeah, it's a weird thing that everyone fights for no good reason. I'm with you there. Like, even even like women with like the super shaved head thing. I'm like, you know what? I can I can see this. Oh, no. Can't go there with you. I mean, like, that's fair. Some people are insecure like that, and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. Women don't shave your head. But yeah, like, but, but like, I'm pretty sure most men will agree that if you haven't shaved your head at least once in your life, what are you doing? Yeah, every guy does it at least once. It's usually it's the free college freshman haircut everyone gets at least once. Yeah, uh, that was the first time I shaved mine. We were in the college dorms, and uh, before the first home football game, a couple of the guys like carved letters into the side of their head. Nice, and uh, the the guy doing it was a uh, was a black kid, and he was just really comfortable with the, the the clippers. And I was like, I guess you cut hair back home, huh? And he's like, Yeah. And I was like, Okay, you want to just shave my head? Then he goes, Yeah, all right, no problem. And he was like, You shave your head? And I was like, uh, We're starting now. He goes, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Power move, shaved head. But but uh, yeah, man. I mean. Something you commit to, too, right? Like, once you do it, you're in it. Yeah, and I mean, like, if you're young, you'll probably, you know, you'll grow your hair out. You'll be fine. Yeah, hair grows, my, well, my, my hair grows really fast. The opposite of my hair. Everybody's hair grows. My hair is really long, but it grows really, really, like, slowly. Yeah, my, uh, my niece, her hair grows really slow. And part of that is she just doesn't like to eat. And when I say that, I literally mean that girl doesn't eat. Or if she goes to eat, it's all vegetable. Like, she eats very, like, almost no protein. The point where, as a, like, as a young baby, they, like, put her on protein shakes. Now, I found out that's a whole thing. Like, there's just a whole segment of the kid population that doesn't eat. And they, they have, like, a whole brain of them, like, princess shakes and all that. Like, it's a smart way to do it. But they had to do that because the niece... She's just not a big fan of eating, and so one of the one of the you know side effects of not eating a lot of protein, a lot of meat, is you know her hair doesn't grow very much. Now it's gotten it's grown more now, and she's you know as she gets older and older and eats more and more normal, it's different. But she is not a meat eater, and so True yeah, for her, it, it, very much, very likely, probably going to be. Like low meat, vegetarian, fish friendly, whatever you know, some kind of diet like that. Like, uh, sometimes she'll come in and they'll be making stuff like uh, boiling ribs or something. And she's like, "What's that smell? That smells bad." Like she's just programmed not to eat meat. She's she's not in it. She is she's decisively no one, on the other side of this issue. <laughs> and no one on the family like feels that way about meat. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a weird like behavior thing where it's like oh you know i went vegan 12 years ago and now my kid's vegan it's like no it's just like i'm i be just fine she's like no thanks dog right and there are, but like and she's I'll eat like, a chicken yeah that's 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 the most <laughs> and she's very particular too so like um 
like if they get like the kids' corn dogs, she doesn't like the breading. Like just it's a whole list of like she's a very particular eater, but it's always like she she's the one who will eat healthy, no problem. Like if there's a salad out, she's like, Oh, can anyone eat this? Like this is for everyone, right? And everyone else is like, Who wants salad? Yeah, go whatever. But like just take it, just pile it on <laughs> one plate, just one mega salad. She like takes the breading off the corn dog and then eats like half of the corn dog wiener and is like, I don't know, I don't really enjoy any of that. I'm like, what a weirdo. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a solid two out of ten. This experience was not as pleasant as I anticipated. Who are you trying to prove? Like she's actually Gordon Ramsay. She 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 is the healthy eater, like peculiar she's eating healthy by taste. And it's I mean, listen, there's no one in our family built that way. So Yeah. (laughs) Um She is in fact built different. She is. Uh but it's interesting to watch like kids like kind of find themselves and find the things that they're into. Yeah, I mean, it's always an exciting time, right? Well, like, so the nephew is really into baseball, and part of it is is he's got a little bit of an obsessive nature about things. So when he found out that he was kind of good at baseball, he just kind of locked into it. But like, the reality is, there's no one in our family who is like. Die hard, die hard baseball. Like, you know, his father watches it pretty regularly, but I wouldn't say he could tell you, like, the, you know, the, the batting order from yesterday's game or anything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not, not deep into it. And so it is a little bit of a surprise how invested, you know, my nephew is into it. Uh, but and then the youngest one is he has just all this massive, just like nuclear energy of personality that kind of comes from nowhere, too. So it's just interesting. It's interesting to see, like, oh, man, like, the kids are so different from their parents and from, you know, they've carved out their own little niches in the family and stuff. It's it's interesting to see. Definitely uh, puts part of – it definitely reframes for me the conversation of nurture and nature. Like, yeah. can bad parenting ruin a kid? For sure. But can parents make a kid who they are? No, I don't think so now. Like, they can give them all kinds of anxieties and tics and all sorts. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they can negatively shape. But as far as create in a kid, no, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, it it, it goes back to, like, the individual. Or like, well, even, like, me and my sister, you know, we were raised differently because, you know, we were born different times. But, like, we're not, we're not like, super different, but we're different enough. <laughs> Y'all are very different, I think. Uh, maybe it's because I'm just, like, I'm me, so I don't see it as much. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, because you're half of the experiment. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think you're. I think you two are vastly different. I think if people knew, if people knew you both well, but didn't know you two were related, they would be surprised by that fact. Not like for any visual reason. Like visually, you guys look enough alike and have similar hair and all that. Like they'd be like, "Oh, I see it," but yeah. like personality and lifestyle. It would, they're vastly different. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, they'd be like, really? You guys, same parents. You yep. live together. Mm-hmm. Raised all our lives. Wow. All, really? all our lives. Well, my life, at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she Virtue of being the younger first. sibling. <laughs> uh, but no, she I says got... it to me all the time, by the way. She's what? like, I've known you your whole life, but you've never known me for mine. I was like, whatever four years that's a good point and neither one of you knew me for my whole life whatever 
15 solid, years. Solid 15 year gap there. Eat it, babies. <laughs> um, you really got me there. Yeah, take that. Um, <laughs> so there is some news. Uh, this uh, December, we'll see Spider-Man Far From Home. No Way Home? No Way Home. No Way Home. Far From Home was the last one. Yeah, so No Way Home will release in theaters. In it, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange uh, go on a crazy adventure and maybe break the multiverse and all sorts of things. It's kind of important. It's kind of an interesting coincidence, I should say, that these two characters are in this movie together because the Ditko family is moving to exercise their legal right as the estate of Steve Ditko, who is the co-creator of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. Now the executives of his estate, his, I think his grandsons, I believe, are looking to uh, dissolve the copyright, um, which is their legal right. Uh, Steve Ditko, were he still alive, now, and I think eight years prior, he had two different windows where he could dissolve the copyright. And then I think there's another 10-year window, and then I think it just automatically is gone anyway. Um, so what what this really means is that the Ditko family is going to receive some sort of financial compensation package from Disney. Um and what's really happening is a little bit more creator awareness and a little bit more creator appreciation. Marvel Comics is known, all of them, Warner Brothers, Disney, all of them, are known for not necessarily uh, properly compensating and awarding talent for yeah, their contributions. A little bit, a little bit of the genre. maximizing profit business they're doing. Right. And, I'll, and, and to be perfectly clear when we've discussed this on the show i don't take the position that they owe the creators anything i don't think they do um i think part of being a creator is you're creating these stories and you know that you're creating these stories with the realization that you're that that you're not the owner of them um i mean that's what it means to work at disney or dc or marvel or sony or any of these places so this has happened before the schuster family which was one of the two creators of Superman with DC Comics. Um, they reached out and were like, hey, we're going to dissolve our copyright. This was about six years ago. And everyone had fun with it. Like Marvel was like, oh, man, it'd be really cool to – okay, before I can go into that, I have to explain what this actually means. Okay, so dissolving the copyright doesn't mean – Superman doesn't belong to DC Comics, or Spider-Man and Doctor Strange don't belong to Marvel Comics anymore. What it very specifically means is that the elements that are established in the Steve Ditko Spider-Man Doctor Strange books are what's now open to the public. Anyone can own, and Marvel's version has to be unique from that. Um, so what that meant in the Superman case, in the opening years of Superman, they he used he used to not fly. He would jump over tall buildings. 
Uh, there were lots of things he didn't do that he now does. But some things like Superboy and Supergirl and all of that were created during the Schuster run of Superman. Therefore, DC Comics would have had to create new concepts with those characters to keep using them. Not that they couldn't have. Listen, they hire some of the best writers in the world. They could have. Yeah. Um, but they would have had to change the character from what is now in the public domain if they wanted it to be protected by copyrights and trademarks. So they would have had to make some changes, just like they would have had to make some changes to Doctor Strange and Spider-Man if that were to happen. Instead, what they did is if it was in the courts, and the courts kept ruling in the Schuster family's favor, and Warner Brothers kept losing case after case after case. And so eventually Warner Brothers realized that they weren't going to be able to bully their way through it, and so they sat down and opened up the checkbook, and they made a new arrangement with the Schuster family. And I don't remember what it is, but now you'll see, uh, like in movies and stuff, it says Superman uh, appears uh, thanks to uh, an agreement with the Schuster family or something like that. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen. It'll, it'll, is, eventually it'll say Spider-Man appears thanks to uh, an arrangement with the Ditko estate or something along those lines. Yeah, which is which is nice. It's honestly just puts money in the pocket of, you know, the family and the legacy of these creators, right? They're finally getting paid. They're they're getting their dues, basically. Yeah, they're finally getting. I, mean, I don't want to say it like that, but yeah. I mean, I mean that's one way to put it. It's a. I mean, I know it's a bit aggressive, and you don't necessarily agree with it, but. I mean, I, I will. Dues and getting with the road and stuff like that just sort of implies like, oh, someone took advantage of them. And like, listen, these were weird times and these weren't, but there have already been the court cases and the settlements and all that and the legal fights about uh, creating these characters and what that actually means. Uh, But when you were working in someone else's sandbox and you were expecting them to pay you for your work, then you're not creating for yourself. So you don't own those characters. And I know I'm coming at it from a different era. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't yeah. have a problem with what they're doing. I, I you know, I mean. Maybe, own... maybe, maybe not what they're owed, but like kind of respectful way, because like these characters are such, you know, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, uh, maybe not so Doctor Strange until I guess recently, but like Spider-Man and Superman are cornerstones of popular culture. True. These were real home runs that got hit. And there's been plenty of money on the table over the decades that didn't go anywhere near the family. So I don't just, dis- I mean, I understand what you're saying. I don't disagree with that part of it, but I also think, mm, let me think of the nice way to say this. Um, there were opportunities and there were times where these creators could have more ingratiated themselves. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Especially because of like these ones that are so old. Well, like, so the Schuster, so there's two creators for Superman. I think it's Schuster and Siegel, if I remember correctly. And I might be getting some of the names wrong there, because I think maybe, I think one of those two names was actually the creator for Captain America, now that I'm sitting here saying that. I don't quite recall. Um, But the issue at play, like, they were compensated at the time. Like, they were written, back then you were given a check for creating a new character, too. Like, hey, you made Superman, here's $1,000. You know, cool. Um, yeah, but, it, but like Superman when he was made versus Superman now are two different are two different things, right? But 
like the meaning the meaning it, of superman is a lot more important than like like what he what? like what he was when he was made right yeah but i don't know like we wouldn't feel bad for anyone else who made a bad deal right but like not necessarily a bad deal it's just that like you know they 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 made this a long time ago and now these things have you know appreciated in value because people value them people enjoy spider-man people enjoy superman so these things are worth a lot more now that you know they're back in the home court of where they originated they can ask for a lot more right i don't know Uh, i don't like let's flip it this way so carol shelby was a car designer okay Ford came to him and he designed uh, a line of uh, Mustangs. Yep. The Shelby GTs. Okay. Cool. Um, they were still Ford cars. So even though Ford compensated him for his work, Ford ultimately made tens of millions of dollars. All yeah. his work. And after he no longer worked for them, they still were able to you know, uh, reap the benefits of that relationship over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, they reintroduced a Shelby line uh, a few years before uh, Carol Shelby's uh, passing. All of that, you know, did they owe Carol Shelby any extra for that? I mean, you know, they made an arrangement. You knew that if you're dealing with Ford that they're going to make their money off of you. So it's your job to get what you can from it. And, you know, Carol Shelby did and was well taken care of. Even though they made tens of millions of dollars, do they owe them more? I mean, I don't know. I just I feel like yeah, but this is I don't I don't think it's the same I don't think it's the same scenario because it's not like they went back to it's not like the designs would ever leave Ford and then go back to Shelby, right? Like it, that's a different story. Like if they're but like, that, but that doesn't happen. That was never going to happen. in back then, back then the conversation was never even keeping characters because characters didn't. Um, copyright wasn't even a thing back then in the 50s and 40s nobody even like you were always creating new characters because nobody understood that existing characters had any value it was only until the 50s and 60s that that changed so even as they're creating you know yeah. now spider-man and dr stranger a little bit later but even as they're creating captain america and superman it was done so with the knowledge that six months from now we may never see these characters again so yeah. really, it kind of is only through the efforts and energies of what is now DC slash Warner Brothers that we see this legacy continue. Like the legacy would be worthless if it had been left up to the original creators, right? But it wasn't. Like it, it's just the way that things played out, right? But it's almost like coming back for your handout after someone else did all the work. I I could see that argument, like. I don't agree the, with the it, family, but I can see it. The yeah, family, family couldn't afford the to make a Superman nothing, movie. You know. They didn't make any comic. Yeah, exactly. They didn't make any comic books, action figures, movies, cartoons, posters. They didn't put this property on every continent in the world. Other people did. Other people wrote the stories. Other people drew the things. Like, I see. I see your point with this, where it's like, why would they get money again for something that you know? 
they've already gotten a piece of all this and now they're getting even more without ever having to lift a finger. Right. Like really what they should have done is negotiated for ownership of the character in the first place. Yeah. And if they didn't, then, then, you know, we're supposed to now go back and rewrite that for you. And, and everyone loves the creators because of what they contributed. And so like, I know this is a losing argument in the creator community. And as a creator, I, I get the irony of that, but the reality is, they were playing in someone else's sandbox and they were being compensated for their work. They were compensated for creating the character. And then someone else came behind and created the myth and the legend and other people came behind and created more myth and more legend, you know, to come back and stand on the top of the Superman mountain and be like, my grandfather built this to come back and stand on the top of the Spider-Man mountain or the top of the Dr. Strange mountain and be like, my grandfather's the reason this exists. Yes. And no, it's like, yeah, he made the guy, he started it, it's, it was a big deal at the time, and it's like, and now it's something completely different. Right. How many versions of Doctor Strange are there? How many Speedermans? Right, and that's sort of the... That's my issue with this concept, is that there are other... There's a lot more layers to it than just, well, we made Superman 50 years ago, 70 years ago, 80 years ago, 90 years ago. And so now we're entitled to something for it. No. Yeah. Sorry, Corey. I'm cashing the check on all your creations. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, listen. That estate if, runs deep through my bones. That's right. It, like, if we're 60 years down the road and Nerd Thug Radio is this thing of great value and my works and my characters are this huge thing and there's eight writers, you know, between me and success, it would be... Uh, it would probably be publicly backed, but it would be ethically wrong for me to be like, it doesn't exist without me. Like, I always jokingly say I am Nerd Thug Radio, but the reality is there's other elements to it, and the longer we do it and the more we do it, there's more elements to it. So, like, it's not, it's never just me. Yeah, I was there the whole time. You were, you were. But, like, you know, I don't know. I just feel like to come in on the backside because of all the success of it and be like, hey, man, like, there's been nine Spider-Man movies. And, yeah, there's been, well, I guess eight Spider-Man movies. Andrew Garfield screwed that up. Um, there's been eight Spider-Man movies. Yeah, you're right. Totally right. Um, you realize that when there's, when, when there's, when there's going to be a fourth Spider-Man movie, it'll be the first time it's ever happened. Right. Here's the reality. None of that happened because of Steve Ditko. Like, it happened for a bunch of other reasons. Yeah. I promise you, there are neighboring realities, parallel universes, whatever you want to call it, where Steve Ditko makes Spider-Man and nothing happens. Yeah. I mean, he could, he could never imagine what would happen with his character. Right. And so that's part of the flaw of the argument. While they are completely in their right to exercise the legal maneuver, and I don't have a problem with it, there's a lot of money on the table, and I don't have an issue with Marvel coming back to them and going, alright, listen, here's 7% of everything we do with Spider-Man for the rest of all time. That's a great deal. Take it. Um, yeah, I'm not really so mad about like the money aspect of it directly, just like the claiming of like, oh, this was all built on, you know, the and back of my father. That. They may not have said that, but that is kind of how it feels when they're claiming it. 
Yeah. Like, oh, this deal has been making us millions of dollars and it's definitely been working out. But you know what? We're just going to not do that anymore because we want more. Right. It's definitely what it feels like. Yeah. Now, to be fair, they definitely haven't been making millions of dollars. I think if they had been, it would never even be an option. Um, I think they would all be like, no, we'll just keep banking the money. It's cool. Yeah. Well, when your options are five or 35, you're going to take 35 every time. This is true. This is true. All right. Uh, we're going to jump out to a break. When we come back, we got a little bit of Nerd Thug Radio still to come your way. <laughs> Comics, Games, and More is a wonderful store located right there on 1488 in Conroe that sells comic books, gaming cards, gaming accessories, board games, as well as all kinds of fun nerd assorted accessories this is Corey dlg of nerd thug radio just reminding you that if you're interested and if you're bored if you got some free time if you wanted to go hang out at an interesting or fun place the adventure begins should be an option you consider everything from DD adventures league to miniature painting uh to even competitive card play and even competitive gaming events all those things occur at the adventure begins comics games and more Interested parties should absolutely check out the Facebook page for more information. This is Rudy Tomjanovich, and welcome to Nerd Thug Radio. Welcome back to Nerd Thug Radio, right here on 104.5, 106.1, these sister stations. Streaming worldwide at IRLoneStar.com. Uh, we're wrapping up this Monday edition. we got yeah, not too, too much time left here. But before we uh, get out of here or anything like that, Nico, tell our friends about our friend. The Adventure Begins, Comics, Games, and more. The Adventure Begins, Comics, Games, full operating hours. All kinds of events this week. Tonight, Monday, at uh, from 4 to 8 p.m. is uh, Miniature Mondays. This is where you can come in, paint, construct your minis, ask the in-store associates for uh, paint and supplies. And you can check out their uh, monthly uh painting contest they have a little display cabinet that they display the winners in it's very cool stuff uh tuesday at 5 45 is the digimon store tournament wednesday is the Yu-Gi-Oh night there's the uh just a tournament and casual trade friday at 6 p.m is the star wars x-wing casual meetup all ages and uh levels are welcome and Friday at 6 p.m. is the Marvel Crisis Protocol Community Meetup. This is the Marvel Miniatures game that you paint up. Pretty cool stuff. At 6 p.m. is Magic Time. This is the weekly uh, Commander Meetup right here at the Adventure Begins Comics Games and More. Fantastic store, wonderful staff, all kinds of events all week long, all right here at the Adventure Begins comics games and more woo yeah, yeah that's right um great guys love working with them about stuff they're awesome keep my book in stock as much as they can keep selling out that's a neat feeling by the way uh we're down to like i think one or two copies of dma number two and that's it insane it's a, it's a neat feeling it's cool i, I wish i could get a i wish i can get more stores to you know, just even try it because Adventure Begins can't keep them on the shelf, which I which I think is pretty cool. Um, hey, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. 
So I got a cool story I want to tell you about. Okay. Um, it is the story of the Broccoli family. All right. And how oh, they have made a fortune, an absolute fortune, off of one film franchise. All right. What do you think is one of the most successful film franchises of all time? All time. Mission Impossible. Okay, that would be a good guess. Uh, kind of close in a weird way, too. The Bond franchise. That was my second guess. James Bond, 007. Um, the story goes that Mr. Broccoli, real name, not making that up, in the late 50s, early 60s. Terrible, terrible name, by the way. Right. Um, like vegetable jokes your whole life. <laughs> okay. So Ian Fleming wrote the James Bond novels and was convinced that they should be movies. Was convinced of it. And his writing agent was also convinced of it. They set up a deal with CBS that wound up making... Casino Royale as like a TV movie mm-hmm. and it was such a terrible process and Ian Fleming got screwed over in the money and was just miserable and unhappy that he was like no that's it no I'm not doing this anymore I'm not going to do it never going to do it again it was just so turned off by the process he had a family friend who did theater production and plays and all that and they got close over the years and eventually Ian Fleming came to trust him the guy's name was Saltzman, and Saltzman became the sole owner of the film production rights of the entire Bond franchise. Okay? All right. Uh, Mr. Broccoli had been part of film production for a while uh, and was convinced that he was the right man with the right vision to create uh, the James Bond film experience. He was a little disappointed to find out that someone else already owned the film rights. And so uh, this Saltzman character. So he tracked down Saltzman. And assassinated him. (laughs) And assumed his identity. That would be one way to do it. That would be the Bond way to do it. Uh, No, instead, they got to talking. And the reality is Saltzman is not going to be able to get these made into movies without some kind of help. He's a theater guy doesn't even have the right contacts it's just the without the support of the writer who's not interested who doesn't believe that a film is going to be successful because of the way the tv movie went uh, it's just sort of a empty bag so broccoli and him become production partners they co-found a company together a production company mm-hmm. and they put all the bond rights in it um what happens is over the next like 20 years, Saltzman keeps running into trouble, money issues, blah, 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 this or that. And these bond movies are like his only bailout. And so, but, but the broccolis, they've been able to kind of squirrel the money away. They've got the money set up and saved up. And eventually they keep buying Saltzman out piece by piece. And eventually Saltzman's gone. And it's just now the broccoli family. And so as the dad is getting older, he basically explains to the family, like, this is our ticket. Don't mess this up. Don't get involved. Like, and in the early days, 
the deals they had were great deals. They would come to they would come to a studio, and the studio like okay, so for the first movie, they came to the studio and let's say the studio was like okay, um, we'll make this movie for like fifty million dollars. Uh, the Broccoli's were so confident that, that it would that it would like recoup and, and profit. They'd be like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, we'll take our money on the back end with everything else, and so you guys can have like the first 60 or 80 million and then we'll keep everything after. And like the first one made like, let's say it was $200 million or whatever. Like they kept betting on themselves and on the profits and they were right every time bond. And they would be like counterintuitive. So there was, there was like an era in Hollywood where none of the movies were really making money Mm -hmm. and sequels were the only thing that was a real play. And this is when they make the first Bond movie, and they spend a bunch of money on it. And the studio's like, "We're gonna loot. Like, this is gonna be a huge loss." But the Brock, but Broccoli and Saltzman are like, "No, no, you got to trust us on this." Sure enough, whole thing explodes into a giant success. It was it wound up being like the highest grossing movie for like the next three years, kind of a thing. Yeah. And so nowadays, I think it's the daughter. It's the daughter who's running it and there's like two other siblings in the family. Uh, but yeah, the broccoli family is the sole owner of the bond film rights. No one else has them. no one, not Fleming, not any of the production companies. And so they just this they one like, family, this just one family. So they, they have like this massive, uh, like distribution Collection. deal with paramount. Where Paramount like is always the one who, like you see, like all the screening on the front is always like Paramount Studios, blah blah blah. But that's just because they have the rights to, to distribute. But they can't make the movie without the Broccoli's. Like the Broccoli's have the ultimate control over it, so they get to make all the rules. They get to pick the settings. They get to pick what book gets made. Like all of it. Wild. The Broccoli family. Imagine. I just think it's fascinating how, like... They just slowly bought the other guy out because he's bad with the money. Just kept having issue after issue, man. But I also think it's crazy, like, producers play such a weird role in movies. Because essentially they're, like, property middlemen. Yeah, kind of. I just think it's, like, weird when, like, movies are, like... Like, movies and scripts are, like, made and then, like, floated and then, like, Almost get made and then don't. Yeah, so like Goodwill Hunting was that way. Uh, Goodwill Hunting in- initially was bought by uh, the Weinstein Company, um, and Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. the The way they structured the deal was they're in the movie. Well, they had the like the top three directors on their want list all passed on the movie partly because they didn't because Matt Damon was a total unknown and Ben Affleck was kind of coming up and coming but not so young in his career very young in his career and not so great that as a supporting actor he could pull this off and they didn't have they thought and they didn't have Robin Williams yet um they still they still needed a big star to attach and they needed a good director. They knew that they knew that those are the two pieces they needed. And after 
basically like eight months of directors saying no, not sure, no thank you. Uh, the Weinstein company gets aggravated with them, and Damon and Affleck say, "Look, give us, give us the six months to shop the film. If we can't go into production within a year, then it'll come back to you." And Weinstein said, "Okay, but if it comes back to me, you two are out as the actors." And they said, "Okay, that's fair enough, you know." So Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were already they were kind of close with uh they were kind of close with kevin smith already uh, i try to remember the name of the movies they did and i might have gotten this backwards they might have been somewhere else and then kevin smith gets them in with wine scene that might be the way it actually happened um and and matt damon or ben affleck basically calls kevin smith like the day after, like, because in the trades that the, the movie gets, it's called Turnaround. Someone else, the movie's a turnaround, so someone else can come and turn the movie around, basically. Mm-hmm. And so Kevin's was like, what's going on with y'all's movie? I thought this was, like, a done deal for you guys. And, like, we're talking about it, and they said, honestly, man, like, I don't know. If we if we can't find someone else who wants to make the movie with us in it, then we're basically out. And Kevin's like, oh, that sucks. So Kevin gets it set up at it might have, I don't remember who makes go on it. It might have been the Weinstein Company who winds up making it. And Kevin Smith set that meeting up. But that's how Kevin Smith is a producer on the movie at the end of it. Because he he sets up the meeting that gets the whole thing. Without the, him setting up that meeting, they never... And then they're not even in the movie at all. But in order to even do it at that point, you have to pay the old studio back the money they've put in, too. So, like, instead of costing a million dollars to make Goodwill to to get the rights to Goodwill Hunting, it was going to cost two million now. Like, it's just stuff like that. Everything gets so complicated and some. And that's when movies stop getting like that's when movies get abandoned. Like, four people are involved and it's traded hands twice. It's like this project's never going to happen. Now we're out. Yeah. Um. If you watch the Netflix movies that made us the holiday edition when they talk about uh home alone well when they pitched it initially it's at one studio and the studio asked them what they thought they could make it for they thought they could make it for 17 as they're getting into it all it's actually going to cost 21 to make okay uh, they come back over time, over budget, overcasted. But but twenty one is still nothing either. For you know, I mean, the difference between seventeen and twenty one for a movie, you know, yeah, like percentage is pretty big, but like in movie making terms, it's not that bad, right? Uh, especially because this is going to be like the big Christmas movie, et cetera, et cetera. So, which I mean, correct, right? Especially as big as this one turned out to be. This this then leads to Macaulay Culkin's crazy career, and then his eventual joining of the Pizza Underground, his pizza themed cover band. <laughs> this is the comedic side of Joe Pesci. Like, there's a lot to this movie. Um, well, anyway, um, at twenty, the studio balks. Is like, no, you told us seventeen, so we're not doing the movie at twenty one. Start cutting, like, start finding stuff to cut. So. Instead, the studio, instead the director, put together a cut of the movie. Like with storyboards and animations and all that, like, and he goes in and pitches the whole movie, and then afterwards is like, 
okay, but if you want to do it at your cost, we're going to have to cut this, cut this, cut this, cut this. And instead of being like, oh, no, then the movie sucks, they were like, I don't like, I don't care what you cut, like, the number 17. And, <laughs> and the director was like, no, the movie's going to suck. It's got to be, like, it's 21 is the bare bones. Like, it, it just is. They're like, okay, well, then we're shutting it down. You can't have your movie. And the next the next day, Warner Brothers shows up is like, okay, we'll make the movie. Well, what actually happened is this might not be, you know, the most ethical thing to do, but Warner Brothers uh, had been talking to the director, like, why are you having trouble with this movie? I thought it was, like, such a great hit. We loved the script, blah, blah, blah. We were upset when the other guys bought it. And he was like, yeah, you know, it is what it is, but now we're having money trouble, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, what? Money trouble? Why? And so... He explains the whole situation. He goes, it's only $4 million. He goes, I would easily make this movie for twenty one. Tell you what, don't budge at all. Don't give an inch. If they quit on you, if they don't give you what you want and they quit on you, call me. So the guy never negotiated. Like, he didn't negotiate anything. He was like, no, I don't want to. Like, we're not going to cut anything. And so the studio dropped the movie. And the second they dropped it, he called the other guy. And the other guy was like, okay, we're in. Don't worry about it. That's the art of the deal. It kind of is the art of the deal, too, right? Like. Someone, like, someone. You saw, you saw, you saw an opportunity escape you, and then you're like, if someone else doesn't see the value where I see it now, like they were dumb because I was dumb to let this go. Right, right. The second chance, like, okay, I have to have it now. Yeah. And then movie history is made, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Home Alone <laughs> is played every Christmas forever and eternity. Forever and eternity. But yeah, something like that is always interesting to me. Hollywood is an interesting place. I'd like to get into it at least once and maybe make a movie. Maybe. Maybe. But I don't know. Like, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I'm curious, but I'm also afraid of just getting absolutely rubber-hosed like the author of Forrest Gump or something. Yeah, that's true. Um, maybe you right. produce something. Maybe. That'd be cool. It'd be cool to own like the film rights as something that people want. Like, can you imagine being the guy who bought the film rights to, like, X-Men back in the day or something? And then everyone's like, oh, we want to make an X-Men movie. And you're like, cha-ching! They're, like, scrolling through the paperwork, and then they're like, Corey owns 3% of the X-Men film rights. Why? (laughs) Checks in the mail, checks in the mail! (laughs) The stupid stuff I would do with money if I owned 3% of any successful movie franchise. I just, I just like to imagine that you're just like corner cased on like every like legal document they have. <laughs> Sounds going through the books, and he's like, "Why am I three percent over all the time?" <laughs> Corey G L G. And he's like, "What? Why?" Beep 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 beep. Air horn, air horn. All right, on that air horn, I think we're just about out of time. Um, on behalf of oh. Little Brother Nico and myself, same Nerds yeah. like time, same Nerds like channel, uh, tune in on Thursday at 2 p.m. for the very final episode of Nerd Thug Radio, episode 400 of Nerd Thug Radio, airing right here on Conroe's very own Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5, 106.1, the sister stations. Um, thanks for being with us on this ride. We got one more coming. I'm excited. I know you guys are too. Alright, see you Thursday.